Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. There has to be some kind of synchronicity. There has to be certainly a clearing and repair process going on if there's any kind of relational tension. To go into the group and imagine one can suppress that and not have it affect the system is silliness. When the business needs our attention, but we're in tension, there's sort of this clearing the desk. Nothing productive is gonna happen until you and I get back into right relatedness. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question, how can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Steph and Laura. Steph and Laura are the founders, and they're the clinical directions of Shoreline Counseling in British Columbia, which is a group practice. Uh, They're also the hosts of the A Not-So-Private Practice podcast, where they share about their experiences with their business partnership, which we're going to be chatting about today. They talk about friendship and business and all things private practice, and they also mention including their love of budgeting. And Steph and Laura are currently in Money Skills for Group Practice Owners. So I asked them to come onto the podcast, even though we've only been working together for a month, because they have a really impressive business partnership. And something that I mentioned in this episode and that I see over and over again, well, two things. One is the idea that group practice is an easy way to make money. And so folks, if they're busy and full, think, well, I guess I should just start a group practice because that's a way to make more money. That's not true, by the way. Group practice is actually pretty uh, complicated financially uh, to make it work. They'll talk about that a little bit today. But number two is I see folks forming partnerships with, you know, somebody that they work with, a friend, because they also think that that will be easier. And as Steph and Laura talk about today, business partnerships can be easier if you put in all the work to actually take care of that relationship. So today on the podcast, Steph and Laura are going to share about their own business partnership, how they have navigated conflicts how they navigate conversations around money, and some of the challenges that still exist in their business partnership around money and how they are working on those. Here is my conversation with Steph and Laura.
also Steph and Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited to have both of you on here. Something that I'm really excited about is you two have a business partnership, which I think is something that a lot of therapists, when they think about maybe expanding from solo practice into group practice or some sort of like larger offering, often consider partnerships, thinking that it's like kind of like a, it would be easier to start something with a friend. And you two have walked that path for a while now. Can you tell folks a little bit about the history of your business partnership to get us grounded in your history together? Yeah, Laura, that's a you question. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, we probably have a bit of a unique beginning together because we, what's not unique is we used to work in a different practice. I'm sure other folks have that experience, but that practice dissolved under the weight of some very serious allegations. And uh, Steph and I sort of became really bonded through the fire of that. Like we became aware of a lot of the misconduct that was going on. And I became aware before she did. And she was actually the very first person I ever told. I was holding these really big secrets about someone who I had trusted for a long time, who had been a clinical supervisor to me for a long time and couldn't quite reckon with how I had had what I thought was a meaningful clinical experience. I couldn't reckon that with this information that was coming my way about what seemed like a totally contrary person. And so I held on to that information secretly for a while. And then Steph, I think through a number of circumstances, I don't know what it was. Uh, we hadn't been friends for very long before, but we just kept having these little conversations and something in my gut was just like, she's the person. Like if I'm going to tell anyone, she's the person I'm going to tell. And it was a heavy weight. I knew that this information was going to come with lots of action. And so it wasn't something I wanted to share lightly. It wasn't something I really wanted to burden anyone with, to be honest. But I did tell Steph and she and I did end up taking a lot of action, a lot of legal and movement action to against some of these very serious things that we found out were going on. So we came together in this very dire season, certainly of my life. And she became this like very, very, very trustworthy person that, you know, she was going through her own emotional reactions, but she was doing a lot to support me as I was sort of unraveling everything that I had thought this 10-year clinical career of mine had meant, what was still true, what wasn't true. So that's kind of, we came together there and somewhere in the midst of us knowing we were fleeing, leaving this place, the last thing on my mind was starting a business. Literally the last, like probably even more the last was being a leader, like leading other people at that time as I was reckoning with this leader who uh, just was not at all what I had thought they were. So this is sort of where Steph enters the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a really awful time and, and, you know, definitely more impactful emotionally for Laura than it was for me. So I had kind of the privilege of just sort of like holding a bit more of a container around like, what does this mean for us? And there were a number of people in this practice that were affected by this. And, you know, to me, I was like, this might be a cool opportunity. Like we have to leave here. And leaving people behind 
that were in the dark about this, but would be affected by this once it all came to light, didn't feel right for us. And so, you know, what initially started as like the pursuit of an office space for Laura and myself to maybe take on a student or two and to just kind of like hide ourselves out and away from all of the unfolding drama, what started out as that evolved into this idea that like, oh, we have to be a bit of a refuge. Like we have an opportunity here to support these other clinicians and this like practice full of clients that we're all going to be somehow impacted by this. Yeah. And so that, you know, amidst all the conflicting, confusing emotion, that was like what excited me. I was like, let's do this thing. And Laura was like, okay, I'm with <laughs> <excited> you. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a, I'm picturing like a couple of things. I'm picturing like a Phoenix rising situation, right? Where it's like this intense, what I'm hearing for you, Laura, is like this intense like loss and probably like betrayal and questioning of like what is real and identity and with this yeah. relationship with this person who had yeah. done these things that you couldn't reconcile with your experience of them. So there's all of this pain, trauma, but then it's also like knowing that you need to get yourselves out of there. It's like, well, we also need to take everybody else with us, which is a very yeah. therapisty thing to do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We were like foreseeing all the, you know, suffering that was to come as this thing unraveled. And it was, it was another layer of like intolerability. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting because it's, you kind of stepped into leadership roles out of a crisis, really, is like there, there was a leadership. It sounds to me like there was a leadership void that was opened up by this person who, you know, had these allegations against them and was no longer going to be able to create this structure for these these folks. So there was this void. And it sounds like, Steph, what I'm hearing from you is like excitement to step into that void. That's opportunity. And Laura, you were like, okay, I guess I'll come yeah. too. Yeah. Yes, is that fair? Perfect. Summary? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. Okay, sort of, sort of. Yeah. What would you say was different about it? Tell me, Steph. I think that I mean, there was more of a power struggle than a void, for sure. At the time, you know, this person was not letting go of this lightly. Like it was quite an intense time. I mean, we literally snuck out in the dead of night. We like went in there, took our staff, secretly moved all our clients over. The whole thing was really secretive. And then once we got going, I think, okay, Laura, you tell me if this is right. I don't know if it's true, but there is more and more balance that was that we were finding with each other in this process, where as much as it was emotional and hard and traumatic, you know, and so deeply impactful for Laura in so many ways, as the momentum for the business got going, like she was the one pioneering a lot of the like, finding the space, getting it sorted. And there was, I don't know if it's true to say, but it it felt like we sort of like, kind of collided on this like energetic path towards this future that we're building, which is when things really started to like click and take off, you know, mm. which was, yeah. Does that yeah. feel true, Laura? I don't know. Yeah, no, it does. I, I'm trying to find language actually for it as you say it, because I had profound self-doubt around my ability to be a leader at that time because I was like, my modeling for leadership turns out to be really poor. And so I was really scared of accidentally repeating some of the really poor leadership qualities that I had been under for so long. And yeah, like once the decision was made, I mean, Lindsay, you're getting to know this part of me. I, I have this thing sometimes where I get excited about a new idea and then I just don't stop. Like when you get voice memos from me at 1 a.m. because I'm like, I'm really excited. <laughs> so like, <laughs> that turned on whatever that part of me is clicked on. And I was like, if we're going to do this, then we're, we, we're going to do it. Like we're going to do it full, big, 
excellent. And so those little bubbles of life force, I think, started to move around my system. And I felt really sheltered. Like Steph was like, this is going to be great. We're going to do it. And I was like, okay, I don't know if it's going to be great, but I feel you walking ahead of me. I feel a little sheltered by you walking ahead of me. And within that shelter, I'm like, I'm, now I got to be part of this. I want to see what we can do to make this possible. That's actually a really good visual description of what I, you know, have been experiencing with your dynamics. So we've been working together now for a month, basically, you know, and you two have back pocket access. So we talk on WhatsApp by voice, which is always like I find much more personal. You know, we get to know each other a lot faster. And that's actually a really good description, Laura, because I have been trying to kind of articulate in my mind, what is your dynamic? Because it's like, yeah, it isn't just like a pure yin yang. It's not that simple, the two of you. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like Steph Steph has that like sturdiness and a headness. And then in that, you can get really excited and thrive. Yeah. 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 I mean, Lindsay, while you've been on vacation over the course of the last week, I have been taken out by Laura's intense desire to just push ahead. I'm like, I've been like thrown to the side and she is now like officially leading the charge here. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah. uh, it is, it does, it is reflective of what happens between us often, you know, that like, there is this constant like back and forth around the vision and the logistics and the details and like who's taking the lead and who's sheltering who. That's so interesting. It brings to mind to me a metaphor that a friend of mine years ago when I was learning how to drive standard, I learned how to drive standard in my mid-20s. And I had two friends, two male friends who taught me how to drive standard because I basically bought a standard vehicle and I did not know how to drive it. So it's like my roommate and one of my friends who was a paramedic, they taught me how to drive standard at like 25 years old. And I remember one of my friends making this analogy about him and a a different friend of ours, like one of them was kind of like that, you know, like first gear that kind of like gets you going and like has that initial push. But then the other one was like, you know, gear five, like now you're rolling. And that's kind of what I'm hearing. Like there's that, you know, you, you kind of shift gears between the two of you in terms of getting things going, but then like keeping it going. But then, you know, maybe you slow down a little. So yeah, there there is this beautiful interplay between the two of you, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, even though we've only been working together for a month, because I think so many folks step into business partnerships because they think it's going to be make things easier, right? That it's it's a kind of the easy option. But what I often see is that business partnerships are not successful and they don't work and they fall apart. And folks who loved each other end up actually not only not even being business partners, but not being friends anymore, right? Like it can be a great way to kill a friendship. And what I see in your relationship is something so much more mature than so many business relationships. So, you know, this is a podcast about money. So I want to dig into that side of your relationship now that we have a sense of where you've come from is like, for the two of you, like what have been some of your biggest money challenges or financial challenges of navigating being in a business partnership together and building something together and also being these two kind of different people. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of segue in just from what you were saying. I mean, I I work with a lot of therapists in a coaching capacity and my my takeaway is that being in partnership is easier in a lot of ways and the amount of work that Laura and I do on our relationship and on our partnership is almost as much as we do on our business because the two because as you say like it it won't work otherwise and our relationship is actually the thing that's most important to us and so when we're out of sync or when we're not working things are kind of just like a fray you know and so you know i think we have these two ways that we navigate 
kind of like a two codes essentially that we use to like navigate our relationship. And when it comes to our conversations with money about money, the first one is kind of like the thing that we live by, which is essentially that like we kind of refuse to hold resentment towards each other. We just like, we're just going to have those hard conversations all the time. Uh, whenever there's resentment, we are going to sit down and we're going to do that work with each other because our friendship depends on it and our business depends on it. Or you want to frame it, you frame it a little differently, maybe you want. Yeah, I mean, I lead a lot of groups. I got a lot of training from a lot of brilliant group therapists early in my career. And one of the things I sort of live by is that if I always co-lead, I rarely lead on my own. But if the two group leaders are in tension, relational tension, the group will be in tension. It's a systems approach, essentially. And so what I was taught from the get-go is like, the leaders have to be, there has to be some kind of synchronicity. There has to be certainly a clearing and repair process going on if there's any kind of relational tension, because to go into the group and imagine one can suppress that and not have it affect the system is silliness. And so Steph and I, we, we know that like when the business needs our attention, but we're in tension there's sort of this like clearing the desk, like just shove all the papers off the desk because there's nothing productive is going to happen until you and I get back into right relatedness. So that's, I think we prioritize that mostly because we really like each other and because the thing that would be the most soul crushing is if our friendship breaks down here. And we sort of joke that we're like more legally bound than we are to our spouses uh, that's actually not a joke. That's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> it would be harder to get out of our arrangement than our spousal arrangements. Uh, so there's like a lot of good reason to work on it, but also like, she's just so important to me. Like there's, I don't care as much about the business breaking down as this friendship breaking down. And I think the business benefits greatly from that priority. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're always, we care so deeply about each other that we're always working on that. First and foremost, you know, so money, though, money, the hardest thing for sure is resentment, which Steph has already spoken to. And resentment shows up the most because we're equal partners in terms of our corporation documentations, but we don't do equal amounts of work. And so reckoning that over the years, I think you'd agree, Steph, has been definitely the most challenging. And I like spend a lot of nights have spent many nights over the last five years talking to my husband being like, oh my God, like, I know it's not fair. What if she resents me? And really I'm saying like, what if our friendship ends and we never make it back? But that's the thing that feels the most scary to me is like, what if we can't work it out? What if this resentment grows? What if she walks away feeling bitter at me? And I would hate that. And so that really fuels these, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the inequalities in our partnership? Yeah, I mean, and the most glaring example, so I had said there are kind of like two codes that we live by. And this, the second one is that we promised each other that we would not allow the business to like stop us from doing what we need to do in our lives and that we would be, you know, on board to support each other with however our lives unfolded and wouldn't let the business stand in the way. And and this is the best example of how this inequity has shown up over the years is two years ago, three years ago, two years ago, Laura decided to have another baby. And we were three years into the practice or two years into the practice. And we were in the midst of opening a second location. I generally carry like more of the administrative burden of the practice to start with. And that just became like tenfold when Laura went on maternity leave and we're opening, we're renovating and opening a second office and 
trying to keep this office afloat. And it was, it was a lot. And there were a lot of resentment conversations and a lot of money conversations around like how we were going to make this equitable uh, financially so that we could, you know, reckon some of the, reckon with some of the the resentment and, and repair what needed to be repaired. And, you know, with that, did you figure it out? Have you figured out how to address that inequity of, or make it equitable, make it fair that, you know, Laura's not, not just had a maternity leave, but also as a mother to three kiddos, right? So lots of family demands there. What have you figured out? <laughs> uh, okay. We didn't figure it out, I think, is the honest truth on my mat leave. We had lots of plans about how we could make it equitable and and they didn't come to fruition. Lots of plans about how we could pay Steph differently than me during that time. And then we had a great idea and we didn't actually we felt we couldn't see it through because we couldn't figure out how to make the money work at the time. And that was I mean, it was terrible for us. Like, I would have loved nothing more than for Steph to be paid and for me to be like, okay, great. It's sort of like we found a way to manage this. And and then she didn't get paid for that time, not for the extra time she was doing. And so that was terrible between us. Like, it has been a hard topic for years between us, as many times as we've circled back around and given space to air our different feelings about it. I, it's more in the present that we're like have some irons in the fire around how we're going to resolve this sort of unequal sweat equity in our past. We have some pretty good ideas about it now, I think. But truth be told, it's been a couple of years of like that not really being resolved, it being a painful mm-hmm. point in our mm-hmm. business history. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, though it hasn't been resolved, it also hasn't been ignored, which is, I think, what part makes part of our partnership so unique and special in that way is like, we have talked this thing to death. <laughs> we have, you know, we are both very aware of, you know, the impact that this has had on me, the impact that it's having on Laura, this sort of like dark kind of like cloud that hangs around sometimes when, you know, this topic comes up and we're trying to figure out how to make things equitable. And, you know, though we haven't arrived at a solution, I think that the way that we address it and the way that we hold space for it and the way that we don't avoid it or dismiss it, you know, makes it more tolerable. It doesn't create this like barrier in our relationship where like we can't move forward on anything because we're like so stuck in this place. It's like, you know, our hope kind of has always been that there'll be some sort of way that this will end up being more clear and coming to a resolution. And whenever we think we have an idea, we bat it around. And recently it's, it's gotten a lot more traction, but I think that is a really unique part of like what makes our relationship work so well and is so special is that we don't shy away from those conversations. Even if we can't resolve them, we just mm-hmm. like tolerate how uncomfortable that is and kind of like table it and move on. Yeah. I mean, I think I was hearing Dr. Becky, if you know her, she's a great parenting. I do, I do know lady. her yet. Uh, personally, she, to be clear, I do not know yeah. Dr. Becky personally. I listened to her content. Yes. <laughs> she was describing rupture as when two people are fully in their experiences and neither can put it aside to hear. Whereas repair is when someone can put their experience aside and say, okay, I really want to understand what was going on for you there. Tell me more. And I think Steph and I do that well. Even when we can't resolve it practically, I think we get have the benefit of our therapist skills and with relative ease, you're able to say, like, just tell me how this is for you. Tell me how bad. Tell me how painful. Tell me how bitter. 
tell me how used you feel and uh, with relative ease can sort of hold that without interrupting with like, but this or explanations or all those tempting things to do when things get difficult. So I know that has been the good enough that's carried us through until we could find practical solutions. Yeah. Well, and, you know, listening to you, something that strikes me is is you are both so brave, first of all, having these hard conversations all the fucking time by the sounds of it. <laughs> right. And that takes bravery. Cause like I know for for myself as somebody who, you know, comes from a history of like kind of people pleasing, fear of conflict, like what you are doing can be really scary. It can be scary to voice things, you know, that you fear might hurt the relationship or create conflict, you know, and, and what I'm hearing is these are skills that you've really used with each other. I don't know if you've honed them with each other, if there's been growth in this, or if these are skills that you both already had, but it sounds like they really are a foundational part of your relationship. And as you say, just talking about it, which makes you think about marriage. Like I remember hearing a friend say that, you know, her parents talked about how like in marriage, sometimes you have like a bad decade, right? And like, we don't necessarily think about that when you're young. You don't think that like a relationship can be that long and you can kind of be like, oh yeah, the seventies were kind of hard for us. That was kind of a bad time, but the eighties were great. But that's what I'm hearing for you too, is it's like, there is this kind of still a bit of a cloud of like, we still haven't figured this thing out. But there's also this hope of like, but we are going to, or we are working on it and we are like keeping it on the table. It's not being buried or avoided, Yes, yes. which is so, again, the word that comes to mind for me is mature. But what I'm also hearing is like, you two have so honed your emotional skills and your emotional intelligence around your business partnership, being leaders, how your relationship impacts your team. And now I know some of the work that you're doing is figuring out this practical part, right? By like digging into the numbers in a different way to see how can you actually practically solve this problem. And, you know, it strikes me that in financial leadership, you need both, right? And you have the first thing in spades. And now as a team together, you're working on the second thing, which is actually figuring out the numbers and like, how do we make the numbers work? So there can be some compensation, reparation, recognition of like the inequity um, that's been there. Totally. I mean, Laura, gosh, we get that solved. What are we going to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not work stuff. Oh, yeah. Maybe not work stuff. (laughs) That is the part of our relationship that's probably fallen off the most. We get it in like intense 20 or 30 minute to two hour windows where we're like, it's only personal time right now. Go (laughs) later. Come back to it. Six weeks later, it's like, how did this thing play out that we talked about for 20 minutes to go? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll open up more space to be friends. And then also, I think, too, to just expand and think about, like, what are those next level things for the both of you, right? Like, how can the business be supporting and nurturing you in other ways? Uh, You'll have different problems, but they'll hopefully be funner problems than this kind of, like, past piece that is yet to be reconciled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks who are listening who might be, you know, considering starting a business partnership, maybe they're in a similar situation with you where they're in, like, a group practice where it's like, this, I don't want to be here. I want to run something better. And I have this friend who I want to run it with, or maybe people who've already started into a business partnership, because often these things kind of start accidentally, as we know. What would be your advice to people to have a functional partnership like you do? To begin with, I would say, like, you're a therapist and you're equipped with tons of helpful communication and listening skills, and they are direly needed in a business partnership. This is not a different kind of relationship. This is another human relationship. So uh, use all the great skills that you already have. And it has served us well to make this commitment to each other. If there's resentment that we will bring it up 
like relatively quickly. I know I do a background process around my resentment first. I am usually triggered initially and have big reactions. And so I do a whole sorting to kind of get my adult voice online and sort out like, okay, what's what young part of me might be reacting here and what's the fear and can I soothe and meet that fear internally first and sort of get stabilized in my adult self and then go to Steph and say, here's the thing that I think has felt scary or icky or um, concerning to me. And so I would say, don't, don't put your therapeutic skills to the side thinking this is a different kind of relationship. It's really important to do really excellent communication uh, and don't ignore resentment. It is like the poison that will take the whole thing down if it doesn't get addressed in a very timely way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And Steph, yeah. I mean, I so I haven't been in therapy as long as Laura has. I was a teacher prior to. So when we started this, I was a lot younger in my career and in my kind of development of all of these skills as she was. And so it was a steep learning curve for me at first. You know, we were dealing with so much intensity and, you know, working on those skills myself was like such an important part of this process for me, you know, in therapy and, you know, even in my other relationships in in different ways, because it felt, it it was sort of just like, oh, you got to like shit or get off the pot here. It's like, you got to figure this out and, and learn about, speed up the learning process in terms of, communication and and the things that you're learning about relationships so that I could develop this kind of background process so I could get more clear on what was going on for me also. And then, you know, I've always had a harder time communicating where I'm at to Laura than she's had to me. It's just, it's just not as natural for me. And so it takes a lot of work on my end. And, you know, I can't, I think early on in our relationship, I saw her skills as so much more advanced than mine that I relied a lot more on her to do that work. And, now, you know, I've come to learn over the years that like that's that is not equitable to our relationship. And so I spend a lot of time doing a lot of the work on my own so that I can show up in this relationship in the way that we've committed to so that we can have this dynamic that we have that really when when we are both in connection is just it just hums. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's so much wisdom there, Steph, like in terms of how much of our own growth we have to do to really show up as leaders, right? And to really show up as our best selves, like in these business relationships. And I know for a year or two, I saw a therapist who had a, also had a business background and he would charge me for executive coaching because like so much of what was coming up was all of these kinds of things about my business. Like your business brings it all to the surface, right? Like having to show up, having to have hard conversations, having to let people go, having people be mean to you, like all of these things. There's just endless opportunity. And, you know, again, it's like, I think there's so much maturity there in just owning like, okay, I got to spend a lot of time in therapy to figure out, you know, how to how to show up the way that I want to show up. I think it's it's easy to want to skip that work um, and be yeah, like, no, no, this is business. For sure. It is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And yeah, it's like, oh, I just want to focus on the business. And, and the truth is, is that the way, I mean, we lead a team of 26 people. So like, we don't have a choice, but to be, in sync with each other. And like that just involves more work than, you know, to your point, I think that people really probably are like consciously aware of when they imagine going into a partnership. It is, it is the same kind of work I do in my marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes, it's exactly. Like- and that's where I say, you know, earlier stuff, you made a comment that business partnerships are easier. And I think they're easier when they work. 
right? It's kind of like I I saw a newspaper headline the other day from Jessica Gross, who writes for the New York Times. I read her column every week. And she said, basically, good marriages are good. Bad marriages are bad, right? Like it was talking about this kind of trend, this idea that people aren't getting married anymore. And it's like, people get married if they can find a great person and build a great relationship. But if you're in a bad marriage, like it's worse than being on your own, right? And so what I'm hearing is you two have managed to put in the work to make it so that it's an easier, better option through all the work that you've been doing. Yeah, I think that's probably very true. It would be much harder if it was a bad relationship. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I don't know if we would have survived, you know? Yeah. 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 It's been yeah. So Steph and Laura, uh, if folks want to hear more from you, which I suspect they do, because uh, I know I do. Whenever I talk to you, I'm so impressed by the two of you. Can you tell folks where to find you? Tell them about your podcast. Yeah, we have a podcast. Uh, you can listen anywhere you listen to your podcast. It's called A Not-So-Private Practice. You can find us on social at A Not-So-Private Practice. And uh, the group practice we run is Shoreline Counseling. You can find us at shorelinecounseling.ca or at shorelinecounseling on social. Thank you so much, Steph and Laura, for coming on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Lindsay. I so appreciate Steph and Laura coming on the podcast today. I am consistently impressed (laughs) by both of them. They're just very thoughtful, insightful, uh, emotionally intelligent women. And as you could hear during the conversation, as they described, and you can even hear it happening in real time, is like they are not afraid to have hard conversations. And, you know, as somebody who is personally a conflict adverse, I so admire and appreciate that. But also, um, as business partners, it's so invaluable to them to have those skills and to be able to navigate it. And as we talked about today, they're such a shining example of what happens when you bring your emotional intelligence and all those therapeutic skills, you know, that we're teaching other people all the time, those of us who are mental health therapists, when you bring those skills into your business partnership, this is what's possible, right? Is you can actually have a healthy, sturdy relationship that allows both of you to thrive, you know, you can use your complementary skill sets. But also, as they talked about today, there's those practical pieces, which now they're working on and we're working on together in Money Skills for Group Practice Owners to figure out how to make the money work to actually address the financial uh, inequity between the two of them and make sure that they actually resolve this issue, not just by talking about it, but financially addressing it. So I'm so excited for them that they are bringing this solid foundation, these skills that they have, this love for each other, their love and respect for each other is so apparent. And now they're bringing that skill set into learning about the actual practicalities of how the money is working in their group practice so that they can uh, make the money flow in a way that supports both of them and uh, recognizes the sweat equity that they've each put in, which is not an equal amount. So I'm so appreciative to Steph and Laura for coming on the podcast today. And as they mentioned, you can check out their podcast, A Not-So-Private Practice podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at money, nuts, and bolts. And if you are a group practice owner and you want some resources on how to start making money working for you in your group practice, I have a free guide called How to Stop Feeling Overworked and Underpaid in Your Group Practice. This is a guide that's all about empowering group practice owners to feel calm and in control of their finances. In the guide, you're going to learn about your money story and how it's showing up in the relationship you have with money as an individual, as a clinician, and as a group practice owner. You're going to learn the four keys for becoming the empowered financial leader of your group practice. 
And you're going to learn about the CFO. Those are chief financial officer skills that you need to create a healthy, sustainable private practice that will support you, your team, and your community for years to come. So the link for that guide is in the show notes. It's how to stop feeling overworked and underpaid in your group practice. You can grab that guide, group practice owners, and get started on the same path that Steph and Laura are walking. Thank you so much for listening today. <music>